Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Specifically, this is episode three of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast and our wrap-up of Chelsea players at the Euros this summer. Travis Flock, that's who I am. I am back to host podcast after Travis Tyler stepped in and did a great job filling in for me. Uh, we've had some, some of our hosts, we've been on vacation, been doing things. So it's been nice to have the, the help when we can get it. So thanks for that. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to it and talk with you guys and really kind of dissecting and breaking down and giving some, you know, pretty balanced takes on what's been going on at the Euros relative to the Chelsea players. So uh, match day three ended yesterday and we saw a pretty, you know, exciting into it with Germany, Hungary and Portugal, France, both finishing in a 2-2 draw. It was enough for Portugal to finish third and get through in the group as one of the best third place finishers while Germany were able to claim second place. Uh, additionally, we saw Cesar Azpilicueta uh, start and play in Spain's 5-0 thrashing of Slovakia. Finally, the Spanish attack is beginning to fire after frustrating many people who have sat there and watched it, including myself when they played Sweden. Uh, Sweden were able to get the win over Poland, Poland 3-2. It was actually a very good match. I, I was able to watch that one. It's a very, very good match. Uh, Croatia thumped Scotland 3-1. England, you know, had another grind out result 1-0 against the Czech Republic. Belgium, once again, clinical, efficient 2-0 win over Finland. Denmark with the 4-1 beatdown of Russia. Netherlands thrashed North Macedonia 3-0. Austria beats Ukraine 1-0. Switzerland 3-1 over Turkey. And finally, but not last or not least, uh, Italy were able to get the 1-0 win over Wales and remain perfect in this year's Euros. So uh, we will go ahead and start, you know, breaking down the Chelsea players. And I guess we'll start where I just stopped with Italy um, and Wales, right? So we have Jorginho and Emerson that were the Chelsea players. Not sure if Emerson featured in that match as I did not watch it. But we know Ampadu did feature for Wales a little bit infamously. And we can talk about that. but. Excuse me, excuse me. Emerson also did play, so that's another player here to to analyze. So Emerson and Jorginho for Italy, and Ampadu for Wales. Uh, and Ampadu did have a red card and was sent off in this match. It's a free kick and uh, another card this time for it. Oh, it's a red card. Ethan Ampadu has been sent off. Ampadu can't believe it. It was high. It was over the ball. Catches Bernadeschi. Yeah, I think the the Italy put up put out a professional performance, a, a standard performance. They were not interested in being flashy. They were not interested in in uh, they they came there to get the qualification. They came there to win the game, and they did. And you know, Jorginho was again very solid in his performance. He he didn't have a lot to do. I mean. Italy controlled the game, but he completed all passes except one. And he was he was just a solid presence in the center of the park, as usual. Verratti also, you know, helped in the middle of the park. And perhaps that's why Jorginho didn't have a lot of defensive work to do. But Ampadu did not cover himself in glory. His tackle was, was quite dangerous. And while he may not have meant it, Majority of those tackles really are not intended as 
leg-breaking tackles, but that's just what they are. And they have to be treated as the dangerous tackles that they are. So it's not surprising that he he was sent off. Overall, you know, Georginian was part of a team that went through the group stage. They won all their games, collected maximum points. They didn't concede a goal. And I think they haven't considered, I think Italy have not considered in 900 minutes, 990 minutes, thereabouts. And it's quite impressive. So he deserves his fair share of credit for that, really. He does deserve his fair share of credit. And it's it's uh, similar to what we've seen him do for Chelsea. Does his bit, does his job, contributes to the team's overall result and on to the next game. You see a lot of international teams and they really only know one style, one thing they want to do with the ball. But Italy is just as happy countering against you as they are breaking you down. They really should have blown Wales away more than the scoreline showed. And that is with eight changes. I mean, they made a lot of changes for this one because they could, and they didn't miss a beat. You can't really pick a player of Italy that's like the standout because they've all been fantastic. Especially, I mean, even now, once they rotated eight players in, like still everyone was great. As for the Chelsea players, Giorgino has been very good all tournament. Uh, he's been putting up really big numbers. He's been holding Italy together in all three games. Not many can say that. Uh, Emerson got his cameo. I don't, and he did well, but I don't really think we'll see a whole lot more of him in the knockout. Maybe as like a late sub. He can do this winger thing now because that's really what he is at heart. So we'll see. I thought Ampadu was doing okay right up until the red card. I don't think he really was aware of what was going on when he made the connection, but I mean, at some point you do have to say, okay, it doesn't really matter what the, that the player didn't get hurt. It's what could have happened. And in that situation, something very bad could have happened. So I thought it was harsh. I mean, it's probably the end of Ampadu's tournament now, one way or another, but I mean, he kind of put himself into the situation, unfortunately, and hopefully he can rebound from it and have a good, season next year wherever he ends up yeah I, I think you know I think you both make really good points specifically you know it was a it was a bit of a harsh you know judgment on Ampadu to to have that happen with the red card but you know you can't sit there and say that it wasn't potentially a dangerous tackle so I get it and just one point about Jorginho I saw this tweet today from uh LDN at LDN football pretty big Chelsea fan account out there and tweeted out that Jorginho has the most passes, successful passes, forward passes, interceptions, and tackles in the Italy squad at Euro 2020 so far. So, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I mean, I have not even been able to see many of the matches, but I do just look at the you know score lines and see what people are saying. And, yeah, he looks like he's just been one of the best players in the tournament so far. And I think I've seen, like, words about, you know, Roberto Mancini has talked about how that's the guy he can't drop from his squad. The system is really working around him. So, I mean, full credit to, you know, to J5 for that, or I guess for, you know, with uh, him being in Italy, it's J8. But, um, you know, he's been doing really well. So I, I, I'm really encouraged by that. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that, you know, this can work for us um, and going and how that applies into the Chelsea sphere. 
uh, for next season is that we may actually have a very, very good player on our hands who's emerging at the right time and maybe going to win some fans over. So next in Group B, uh, we have Christensen playing for Denmark. And, oh, my gosh, he scored just an absolute wonder of a goal. Um, and then we also had Belgium playing. However, uh, Bashuai did not start. He did come on as a substitute, but he did not start. Uh, match was kind of over by that point as well. Belgium did not have a whole lot to play for. But out of that, I guess we can more analyze Andreas Christensen. Travis, you know, what did you think about his performance and how does this translate for Chelsea next season? Is this a lot more, you know, do you think he's ready to take that mantle away from Thiago Silva? Yeah, I don't know if we should be expecting super clean, long-range strikes from him. But that was his second goal career-wise, I think. And that was really the catalyst for Denmark getting the result they needed to get into the knockouts was that goal. That fired them up for the rest of the match. Denmark usually plays him in a four for the back. And occasionally they'll play him in midfield. But in this one, they played him at three of the back. And, I mean, he's just been phenomenal throughout the tournament. Um, Obviously, Denmark didn't have a great first day to this tournament, but they've really bonded together and have fired up for what's coming. I don't exactly remember who they have next, but it's not a huge team, if I recall. And they should probably keep going. Um, And that's good for Christensen because, I mean, Silva didn't play as much as we think he did in hindsight. But... You know, it, it's time for Christensen to be that guy again. I mean, Antonio Conte tried to make him that guy. Maybe that was a little too early, but now is his moment. Yeah, very well said. Uh, anything to, you know, comment upon Bashuai, or do you just hope that maybe any cameo he has in this tournament increases his resale value? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I completely forgot about Bashuai. You said that, and I've been thinking of all the player review things I've done for Pride of London, and I can guarantee you he hasn't been in any of them because I completely forgot about it. And I feel really bad about it. But, I mean, that Belgian side is stacked in attack. I mean, Lukaku is not dropping. Even if he does, I mean, is Batuai really going to be the one up top? Probably not. Probably see, like, Hazard up there or something. So, I would really like for him to be able to get some minutes just so... Other people can remember that he exists for transfer. Probably not. I don't think he we're going to see very much of that. And the impact that he offers on the game is generally not enough to warrant uh, a selection over somebody like Romelu Lukaku, who has been one of the best, probably three best strikers this past year in all of Europe. But uh, next to you, Ola, how do you, you know, what do you like look at and think about the performances from Bashuai, if anything? And more specifically with Andreas Christensen, who he really is starting to, he has played a very decent tournament overall. Um, and that match against Russia, I mean, that strike, when I, when I saw it was Christensen who hit it, I distinctly remembered, I was like, wait, that, that was Christensen? I had kind of like a triple take almost to, to make sure I got the number and the name on the back of the shirt right. Another one into the box. Another good save by Safanov. Stroya Larsson, uh, another good stop. He got himself in the way. Uh, that goes in. Christensen for Denmark. Russia one, Denmark three. Yeah, I, I think we, we should get the Bashwai situation wrapped up 
quickly. He needs he needs somewhere to settle down. He needs somewhere to settle. He needs to be sold. We he's got that goal that clinched the the Premier League title. He went to Dortmund, played well, got injured, came back, went to Crystal Palace and could not even hold down his spot at Crystal Palace. I mean, if you can't hold down his spot over Christian Benteke and Jordan Ayu, then really he needs he needs somewhere. I think he needs to move away from England. Personally, I think Dortmund worked out for him. I think Bundesliga would fit him. Generally, he's off. He's off the ball movement is very good, but I don't really expect Barcelona to be starting in the Belgium squad either. I mean, even if he wasn't, even if it was at Chelsea, I wouldn't have expected that. But he's coming from a Crystal Palace that he couldn't start over Benteke and the strikers that were there, so he's definitely not going to start over a Lukaku or you know. But yeah. Christensen was, and I noticed our center backs have also been playing in a three at the back in their for the national teams. And it reminds me of something Mourinho said that to help players flourish in the national team, replicate the environment that they were playing and they were thriving in at the clubs. And it, it is showing that. I mean, Christensen played in a three at the back. Rudiger has been playing in a three at the back, though Rudiger hasn't been as good, but we'll get there, I guess. But yes, that, that goal was, you know, when I saw Christensen had scored, to be honest, I thought it was a header because when a centre-back scores, it's almost always a header. And then I saw the replay and I was like, yeah, we could, we could do with a few more of those <laughs> for Chelsea. I don't think he has ever scored for Chelsea, you know. But he, he's, he's been very good for the national team, other than the goal, even if you take away the goal. He's been very good for the national team. He's been solid. Professional, he hasn't been a you know we wouldn't say he has been a Van Dyke or a Ramos, but he has been a, he has been very very good and it's good to see he's he's an asset to Chelsea because he stepped into the side when Thiago Silva that we all agree has been excellent for Chelsea this season he stepped into the side and we just continued being excellent we just continued being excellent he I think he considered only once on that Tuku. He was he was quite solid. Played against top attacks, top attackers. He didn't concede. Was he held his own against the best of the best. So it's encouraging to see our players do well for the national teams as well, not just for the club, because we can now see that it's not just the it's not just Tuku that made them look good. You know, we can see that they are actually there are very good players there, and it's not just you know. A hoax. It's not just oh, he only became good when Tuku came in and padded the whole the whole team with centre backs and central midfielders. So it's it's very good to see. Yeah, of course it is. It's a great thing to see that you know it's how it's working out for a lot of these players in their national teams. Um, moving on to uh, Group D, we had with Croatia. We had Kovacic, who did register an assist in that match as they kind of you know really tore apart Scotland. I think that was maybe a little bit to be expected. And then additionally. We had England playing uh, Czech Republic uh, in that match. I didn't watch it, but it did seem like it was a little bit of a slog. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter really criticizing that. And, you know, once again, there are no Chelsea players that featured in that one, not even substitutes. So not a whole lot to say there. Um, the reasoning for that, listeners out there, if you're unaware, Mount and Chilwell were forced to self-isolate after their, you know, 
quote unquote contact with uh, <laughs> with Billy Gilmore, who tested positive for COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's sort of a farcical thing. Maybe it's an entire discussion to have on UEFA itself. So we'll just gloss over that match. And there's really nothing to say there. No Chelsea players played. And uh, it's really a shame because I don't know when that's going to change as far as when they can get back on the field. And then, you know, of course, like I said, you have Mateo Kovacic, who had his best game of the Euros so far. I did watch the Croatia game. I was watching the England game and. When I saw what was happening in the England game, I realized I think I'm watching the wrong game. So I moved over to Croatia. Modric was magnificent. I didn't really notice Kova, but he had an assist too. That's a goal involvement on the international stage. And let's not forget that Kovacic is not known for, for goal contributions, really. He's, for someone who has such refined technical ability, it's surprising that he doesn't have that many goal involvement. But at the same time, it's not really because he does most of his work in the middle of the park and he's quite good at that. But with the, I never really expected Scotland to do anything to Croatia. I expected them to lose. I'm not surprised that they lost by three goals because really, when you take out Andrew Robertson, maybe Billy Gilmore, I don't think Scott McTominay is, is enough to really say, okay, Scotland are a threat to anyone. So with or without game, I don't think they would have been able to lay a finger on Croatia, really. I'm not surprised they held England to a standstill because England seems like, it seems disjointed for the most part. And that is not just with the, with the exclusion of Mason Mount. I mean, it says a lot that Hurricane has not registered a goal for England in three games. It says a lot. And he has... Except someone wants to make the case that, you know, he has better players at sports. The question has to be asked. We can't only inquire of, of, of Kane. I mean, yes, it's his fault that he's not scoring, but how many goals, are, how many shots has he even taken in those matches? And, you know, I, I've listened to Mourinho. I listen to talk sport a lot because of Mourinho. And he has talked about how, you know, you should replicate the, the, the situations that are working for him at at scores. And while Southgate is not under any obligation to follow that, it's in his best interest because Moreau got the most prolific season out of Kane. So Moreau would know how to get the best out of Kane. If anyone would know, he would know. And you know, it's he has he has Phil Foden around him, he has Mason Mount around him, he has better central midfielders, better center backs and at scores. And he hasn't done anything. So if they are going to do anything in this in this competition, is they are going to do it with one nil wins, really. And defensive solidity. They are the center of their the central midfield has really helped them to hold games together and nick one nil wins. But how long they can keep that up, I don't know. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> with with Croatia, the issue is they have so many highly technical players that part of it is Kovacic, even as good as he is, kind of fades into the background a bit. But also they don't really have any one that can really consistently put the ball on the goal. So in this match, you know, they were able to. Kovacic was able to get his assist. But so far this tournament, it's just been a lot of passing and then they don't really have an outlet other than a wonder goal. So I don't really think we gain too much from Croatia based on Kovacic 
his performances. I mean, if we could put guys like Modric around him, maybe things would change, but I don't see that happening. And the only real point on the England game is when you take away their most important player, they look like they did. So that's pretty much all to say about that one. Yeah, it's not like a whole lot to really break down. Um, I think you kind of sum it up there. I mean, I would say that when you look at Croatia's midfield, I argue it's maybe the best midfield overall uh, that's in the in the Euros for this tournament between, you know, Marcelo Brozovic, Luka Modric, and Mateo Kovacic. But I, at the same time, I also give a lot of credit to Italy's midfield because they've just been bossing this stuff so far, um, you know, with, with Virginio Locatelli, uh, Marco Verratti getting back into the scene. And of course, you have Nico Barella just balling out this tournament. So I think from a Chelsea perspective, it's really interesting to see how two of our own center mids are playing in Italy and Croatia, who arguably are the are the two best sets of midfields in this tournament. You know, maybe it speaks to some of the quality we have and the fact that these players, you know, specifically Jorginho and Kovacic, are a little bit more overlooked and you know afterthoughts. And there's still this large contingency of Chelsea fans which want to. You know, I, I guess almost have dissidents uh, for either of those two players, and I think it's for for me, it's a little bit personally, rede- you know, redeeming to see that uh, this theory that they that they can't do anything, that they're completely, you know, this useless center mid or whatever it may be, is sort of being thrown into the wind and forgotten about as we are moving closer and closer. Uh, to the finality of the Euros and how well each of them have played in the in the preceding three matches. Particularly, I'm talking about Jorginho right now. Um, so we didn't have any uh, Chelsea players featuring for England. We also, of course, did not have Billy Gilmore playing for Scotland due to uh, his COVID-19 diagnosis. I hope that all is well there and that he is just an asymptomatic carrier and everything's okay. But I do want to give a little bit of a second to shout out Billy and his man of the match performance. I think he is a highly, highly talented player with an incredibly high ceiling. And there's just so much there you see from him, you know, game in, game out when he does get opportunities to show that he does have this. And, you know, there is now rumor that he is going to be going on loan with Norwich leading the race, supposedly going to wrap up the deal by next week. I think that would be a great loan for him. There's a lot of history with, Daniel Farka and Thomas Tuchel from Dortmund, as well as kind of similar styles. There's a lot of overlap and he'll kind of be in that relegation scrap. And I think that's actually going to be positive for him. I think that builds a lot of mental characteristics um, that are overlooked many times. So when, when fans talk about the negatives of going to a relegation favorite side. Um, So moving next to Spain, Cesar Azpilicueta did play in this match. You know, and this is Spain's best overall match in the Euros, right? After just absolutely boring us to death with their two previous matches. And just to sum it up, if any of you did not watch Spain, Sweden and Spain ended in a nil-nil draw. And then you have the preceding match where Spain continually dominate the match, can't produce anything, so on and so forth. And if anybody has any doubts about that, I was watching the second match that they played. It was against Poland, I think. That's who their second match was against. And it's just, uh, it's so frustrating to watch them. I had a friend of mine who doesn't really follow football watching the match with me and kind of his, you know, he looked at me and was like, you know, what is up with this Spain team? They just create chances in mass and just 
miss everything and like say, said the same thing and even kind of commented, how is, how is this striker, Alvaro Morata, even on the field? Because he just misses everything. So uh, <laughs> that kind of sums it up as far as the tournament. But that all flipped it on its head. And they go up against Slovakia and just really, really break them down. 5-0, massive win. Cesar Azpilicueta playing in that match as well at right back. And he was eventually subbed off of the field, but at the end of the day, the damage was done. So I will move to you, Travis. You know, how do you analyze Cesar Azpilicueta's performance? Do you think that he can continue to be a regular member of the Chelsea squad for next season? Yeah, so first of all, who could have guessed that playing a right back at right back would help Spain? Second of all, who knew it took Azpilicueta to make Spain Spain again? I mean. They've been awful in these first two games overall. I mean, tons of possession, tons of passing, but they can't get it in the net. And then you play Azpilicueta, who said, like, hey, take our Champions League win as a bit of motivation, and that's all it took. And it's, I, I think his role was interesting because on paper he was a right back, but he never really got away from the defense. So he pretty much ended up in the exact same role he's been playing for Chelsea, where he's kind of like the right center back that occasionally gets a little bit into midfield, but doesn't really go any further than that. That bodes well. If we end up going four at the back, that means Osvaldo Cueto could have a little more shelf life to him than we think, as long as the players ahead of him can, you know, create a little bit of whiff. I would like to think Luis Enrique now understands what Osby can bring in the same way Thomas Tuchel has understood for his entire tenure. We had the whole Hakimi transfer thing. He's about to go to PSG. Maybe we go in for Adama Traore and we put James into center back and he's splitting time with Osby. But either way, I think Osby's going to play a lot this coming season. Uh, I, th- I kind of think he's going to play a lot the rest of this Euros now. But that that would be my hope anyway. And that's not just because I picked Spain to win this thing and they have not looked great. Uh, how about you, Ola? Do you think that the performance from Azpilicueta has any bearing um, on his potential to play in a back four and increase his shelf life at Chelsea Football Club for the preceding years? Or are we getting ahead of ourselves here? Oh, they're still uh, getting ahead of ourselves, but I also think we're ignoring a lot of things. It's the Euros, yes. It's an international competition, yes. But he played against Slovakia and in, in a back four. And like Travis mentioned, Travis Tyler, he did not really get away from the back four. So the overlapping you would expect from a right back in a back four, I don't think he can still do that and still be effective defensively. I think he has he has gotten to the Alonso level where he can do one but not the other. I think he's a fantastic overlapping right back. But I think in the Premier League, you face a lot of opponents that are a lot more difficult than Slovakia. No, no disrespect to Slovakia, but the average Premier League side would target your flanks. Whoever it is you are playing there. You play regimes, they target it. You play Marcos Alonso, they target it. You play Aspi, they target it. Whoever, you, because that's the the ways they can get behind Chelsea are not are not many. 
and they are not going to want to take their chances against the Thiago Silva in the center of the park. So they'll go down the wings. So I think the in the Premier League, he will face a lot more, a lot of difficult opposition. So I don't think he, I don't think his display for Spain means we can we can count on him as a right back in the back four. But he did play a similar role to what he had been playing for Chelsea in the past four months. And it was very effective for Spain. They were able to find more space on that on that flank, and he was he was quite busy down down that side. And if they ask me, I'll just say Aspi is the reason they were able to start winning games. You know, they are ready for the for the knockouts. Though I don't know what they will do about their striking situation because they've missed seven out of their last twelve penalties. I mean, Gerard Moreno took a pen, hit it against the bar. Morata skied the rebound, and then Morata took a pen, missed, and they. I don't know what they'll do about their striking situation. I mean, Chelsea can talk about getting Holland, right? They can't talk about getting another striker. I don't know who, who they are going to play there that they would trust to score goals. But Ferran Torres and Co have shown that you know they can walk, and Morata has shown he can walk. So. You just need to create 500 clear-cut chances for him. But I'm sure they can do it with all the 12 million passes they make per game. I think they'll be fine, generally. I think creating a lot of chances is more important than finishing the two you create. So they're on the right path to to being comfortable in the the knockouts, I believe. They'll be fine. Yeah, I think it is overall a positive sign for Spain, and maybe this is something they want to look at for the future. It's not like Slovakia are that much worse than Sweden or Poland, or perhaps this is just a function of Spain taking three games to really get clicking in this match or in this tournament. I don't know. But moving on, finally, uh, we've got quite a few uh, Chelsea players between France and Germany, with France having Conte Zuma Giroud and Germany having Rudiger Havertz Werner. And Within that, uh, the first match, Portugal-France, we saw that uh, N'Golo Conte once again plays in that pivot along with Paul Pogba. But we don't see any other Chelsea players start for France in this match. I I mean, you know, from what I saw, N'Golo Conte was N'Golo Conte, right? You know, it's the same, same old, same old for him. And really, I think that, you know, when you look at that pivot of him and Pogba, it's just a phenomenal pivot. I'll, I'll pass it off to you. Uh, you know, uh, what do you think about uh, N'Golo Conte's performance in this match? Do you think that he could win player of the tournament if France lift the cup? If France lift the cup, I don't see him winning player of the tournament. And I say that because he has been very good for France, but I, don't, I wouldn't call him the standout for France. They have a lot of talent across the board. I'm... I'm scared by how much talent they have. I mean, they can afford to not take Upamecano to the, to the Euros. That's how stuck that team is. You need to see, you need to see the France players that are playing in, under, in the under-21s. They, they could give some of these teams around for their money in the Euros. So they, 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 are, they, are, they are talented everywhere. But he has been playing his role in that, in that pivot with Pogba. They matched Portugal. Or Portugal matched them, should I say. But they hadn't really been creating that many big chances. So that doesn't have anything to do with Kante, really. 
but he has been he has been part of the reason France have looked unbreakable. He has been part of the reason France have looked like you just can't break them down. They are center backs, they are CMs. Pogba is doing some defensive work again. Who would have thought he could do that? Even though he had done that for Man U, but yeah, I digress. He has been playing very well for France. If if um if the champs doesn't win the Euros, I would say it's because he did not play Zuma. I'm rolling with that. No one can convince me otherwise. I'm not changing my mind on that. If you don't play Zuma, if you don't start Zuma, you don't win things. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, he's I'm I'm surprised Zero hasn't featured as much as he hasn't featured. I would have expected him to feature a lot more, though I'm not. I'm not really surprised because Benzema has been very, very good. I mean, he more or less single-handedly pulled France level with Portugal. I predicted Portugal to win that game. If not for Benzema, they would have. I think they would have. I think Portugal would have won if, if not for Benzema. His link-up is. I mean, I've been told Benzema's link-up is very good, but watching it in person, it's, it is very good. In fact, it hasn't been given enough enough credit. He does it so well. He does it so well. His communication with other forwards is magnificent, and he's a very mobile and he's a very mobile striker and a magnificent finisher. So he's a complete striker. So I, if Giroud is going to lose his place in the France squad to Benzema, I wouldn't be surprised. Though Benzema is a bit disrespectful to Giroud, which I have a personal problem with. But it's football. You can't. You can't really knock his football. He's, he's a magnificent footballer. Uh, the Germany game. I didn't really watch much of that, but I did watch their previous games, and Rudiger wasn't as solid as we've come to see him for Chelsea. And he also played in the back three, so we can't really say we can't really blame the formation on that. I. I think it should be taken into consideration, though, that he's in a group of death. And in that group, you are going to come up against talented attacks. But this game was against Hungary. Considering two goals to, to Hungary is not acceptable. This is not to say Hungary is so bad that no one should concede to them. But we're talking about Germany. And with the talent Germany have, they should find Hungary comfortable. And they did not. So... That falls on the attack and the defense, which means Harvard, he did score. But it's, I think Zena also came on. But yes, it's, it falls on them that they were not able to break down Hungary consistently enough to, to see them off conveniently. But ultimately, they're in, the, in, they're in the knockouts and Germany will have to buckle up defensively. And Travis, how about you? How do you feel about, um, Ngol Kante's performance in the Euros as well uh, as well as do you think he has any potential at winning player of the tournament if he is able to help France get to the uh, final with the cup? I mean, I would like Kante to be able to win an award like that, but I feel like it's going to go to an attacker just because it always seems to. I haven't been particularly impressed with Benzema. He finally got on the score sheet twice this time around. It'll probably go to him if he can keep doing that, if he can keep scoring. But Conte, I mean, he's been the one holding France together for a few years now. They have a ton of, you know, highly technical attacking talent. 
and they play very conservatively. And some of that is, you know, because you have N'Golo Conte and he can protect everyone else if they kind of do half a job. So, yeah, I mean, Conte's been Conte. He's holding them together, but I don't know. I just feel like that's not going to get respected enough. Even if they win the whole thing, I'm not even sure if he'll get Blanc, the Ballon d'Or just because of him not being a flash, flashy player. Yeah, Kurt Zuma, he's just not. He, I mean, he's evolved in France again, but I don't. Since he finally got called back to France, I don't think he's played more than like two or three times. Giroud, I would like to have seen more of the few minutes he's gotten. I think France have actually looked better, which shouldn't be a surprise, given how much he's been part of this team for so many years and Benzema's been doing whatever he's been doing. The whole thing about this group is that it it went to the wire for pretty much everyone. The only team on the final day that didn't spend time on bottom or in third was France. And maybe going into the knockouts, that's going to wear them down a little bit just because all these teams had to grind it out against each other that they might not have as much in the tank as they could have otherwise. Germany, Kai Havertz has been arguably their best player. That first game against France was pretty poor for everybody. But since then... It, they've at least looked like they know what they are trying to do, and Havertz has been the main thrust of that. Rudiger, I mean, he doesn't look as good as he does with Chelsea, but then again, he's playing with the Chuckle brothers of Ginter and Hummels, who have not had the best of tournaments. I mean, Hummels has been fine until he's doing just boneheaded things that cost Germany massively, and Ginter just hasn't been good at all. We haven't seen much of, team, of Timo Werner, which I'm a little surprised by personally, uh, just because if Thomas Muller was going to keep anyone out of the lineup, it'd be Kai and not Timo. But yeah, Ger- Germany's got England next round. That could really go either way. Um, I, I re- think if Germany's going to get the better of England, it's going to come more from just simply outscoring them than having any kind of defensive nows and being able to keep them from scoring. But we'll see. That we will. Um, and finally, you know, if you had to pick one or two teams to be your favorite to win, who are they? And if you had to pick one dark horse, who are they? And I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I think my favorites to win are going to be, despite their defensive issues, Germany. And I also would have to say my, my, you know, top favorite right now would be Italy. I mean, I, from top to bottom, they're a complete team at every at every department of the field, right? Goalkeeper, defense, midfield, and attack. They look really the real deal, and they're they're just bossing the show right now. My dark horse would be the Netherlands. I think that's a team that people are sleeping on. That even from the beginning of the tournament, I kind of had this feeling that the Dutch side can get some stuff done. They're always a, a tough out in these kind kind of competitions, and you know they have a pretty potent attack despite. Uh, maybe lack of your awareness on that. How about you, Ola? Who are the uh, your favorite or favorites to win, and who are your dark horse? I think seeing what I've seen from, from Italy, I think my favorites are still France because they've looked so... They've never really looked in danger of losing this, this, this tournament. 
they did concede two goals to Portugal, but then again, when you have Cristiano Ronaldo scoring two penalties <laughs> against you, they are going to concede two goals to France. Either way, but I, I also pick them as my favorites. I also pick Italy. Italy have put out complete performances. They've been very, very good. You wouldn't say they have the best attack in, in the competition, but they've attacked teams easily, created chances, kept clean sheets. They've been they've been solid. As for dark horses, I'll say I'll say Netherlands. Memphis Depay has been he's a key figure for them. And then they have Georgina Wenaldum, who sometimes when I watch when I watch Wenaldum, I am baffled as to how he gets so many goals for Netherlands and so few for Liverpool. He has a an interesting skill set. That he can just really enter the, the final third, make late runs into the box. He can also control midfields. And he's, he's, a, he's a coach's dream, really, to me. He's the kind of player that you just, just tell him what you want him to do and he'll do it. You want him to play on the wings, he'll play on the wings. You want him to play defensive midfield, he'll do that. You want him to be a holding midfielder, he'll do that. And same question for you, Travis, before you wrap this one up. From the first part of the bracket, I, I would say Italy. France is on that side of the bracket, but they're the only team Italy should really have to fear the way Italy's been playing right now. So I think they'll probably make it to the final. Whoever wins between England and Germany would be my favorite on the other side of the bracket. England hasn't looked particularly well, but if they can get by Germany, it's that's the light side of all of this. And same for Germany. If Germany can manage to defend, they've got a pretty clean route. Yeah, I mean, I can't back the Netherlands just because I'm an Atlanta United fan and I don't like Frank DeBoer. I think if there had to be a dark horse left, I'd give it to Denmark. You know, they, they've had fire in their bellies since the Christensen uh, Ericsson event. I mean, they play Wales, they'll play the winner of Netherlands, Czech Republic, and then they'll play probably England or Germany before the final. That's all doable for Denmark. And, you know, if they've got that fire in their belly to do it, you know, I could see them going all the way and, you know, maybe even giving Italy or France on the other side some problems. So that would be my pick. All righty then. Well, I, I think that, you know, we got some interesting picks here. Um, we'll see how this, how this shakes out. It's going to be a lot of fun coming into the knockout rounds. But until next time, guys, you know, keep blue flag flying high. Let's continue to support our, our Chelsea boys that are half the Euros. And uh, same time, you know, any, any rooting interest you might have in the national teams. 